What's one thing you like most about yourself? What's one thing I like most about myself? Quick answer. Um, I creatively problem solve very quickly. The other thing I like about myself is, well, thank God I think I'm funny because it really helps with your sanity. (laughs) Tell us your favorite hobby or pastime. The hobby that wastes my most time is playing guitar. My favorite pastime would be playing Scrabble with my mother. Describe your breakfast routine. I throw food at my mother and say, no, my breakfast routine is, (laughs) actually my breakfast routine is disgusting. And here's what I'm going to, you're going to love it. I wake up, I try and um, ride my bike a short distance. And so unlike most people, I, (laughs) I order a tuna sandwich sub with jalapeno peppers because I know I'm going to need it for lunch, but I actually eat it for breakfast. How disgusting is that? Oh my gosh. You know what? I love tuna sandwiches and for breakfast too. That's that's cool. I'm down. It's actually, most people be like, that's so disgusting. And the best <laughs> part about it is I don't have to share it with anybody because nobody else wants it. Perfect. What's your favorite outdoor activity? My favorite outdoor activity, I would probably say anything to do with the ocean. Like whether it's surfing, skimboarding, being drugged behind a boat because you couldn't get up. That's my favorite is when there's a wall of water and you're taking in about a gallon in your face. You're like, oh yeah, that's called missing the liftoff. (laughs) What's one thing you cannot live without except your favorite humans, of course? Well, there's so many because I, <laughs> I collect, I feel like wrong. An old pair of Levi's. I just can't wear, dude, seriously, guys in true religion jeans, stop it. Hey guys, Jade here. Today on the show, we're chatting with someone who requires very little introduction. Ty Pennington, our favorite carpenter from Trading Spaces and Extreme Makeover. He's written his third book called Life to the Extreme. And for the first time, he's really opening up about his whole life story. In this episode, we talk about what it was like growing up with undiagnosed ADHD, how he scored his first acting gig on Trading Spaces, his life-changing experiences on Extreme Makeover, and what motivates his heart to give so much to others of himself, his time, and his talents. It was really fun to chat with him and hear some of his stories. So listen in, you'll laugh, and enjoy getting to know him on a more personal level. You're listening to We Get to Know Podcast. And for years, we've all been following some of the most inspiring creatives, innovators, social media influencers, and bloggers. Simply put, we get inspired. The next best thing to following our favorite people is hearing their stories straight from them. So listen in as we get to know Ty. Ty, welcome to the podcast. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. What the people don't know is that we've been chatting for like 40 minutes trying to figure out technology. That's right. And tell us where you are. Well, thank you. I'm on the far outskirts of an outpost near Palm Coast, Florida, which is uh, clearly in the middle of a jungle with no cell service, which is the best place to be when you want to have a media (laughs) blitz promoting something like a book you've written about communication. And so it makes yes. sense that someone with ADHD would be on the far reaches of the planet trying to have an interview about stories that go in and out. So it makes total sense. So yes, from Ty's house in Florida. It's so uh, perfect. <laughs> but it's great. There's no distractions. My mom is out getting who knows what done. Probably more tests, which are always fun, which is what I'm looking forward to in old age. is diapers and more tests. 
Because <laughs> we just revert back to like childhood, right? Like, <laughs> well, actually, and that's really what the book is about. It's so funny. My mom, God bless her, you know, brought me into this world, and I happen to be just a little bit active, hyperactive is what they called it. And nobody knew what that was. So she literally went to my elementary school to test the worst kid. She was studying to be a child psychologist, my luck. And they're like, Mrs. Pennington, you really don't want to know who that is. So that's how the book opens, actually. It's just absolute chaos, which is kind of funny. We, like, I thought I would tell the book in true ADHD style, which is starting in like chapter four, which is like, you know, <laughs> and then jumping to seven, you know, cruising back to two, and then eventually going to chapter one. So just like you would in a story, just jump from one thing to the other. But yeah, she's been a saint. Just to, She did drop me off at a gas station once, which I thought was going to be you know, forever. But she did remember to come back and get me, which was nice. But there have been times that I, lately that I've thought of doing the same. But I was like, you know, it's, anyway, that's the family is you can't let go of them. It's family, man. Even if you want to, you just cannot. It's blood. <laughs> it does make me laugh. And let's face it, that's the one thing we have to have in life. I really couldn't agree more. I mean, so I'm like about halfway through your book, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. And it's like you said, I was like cracking up laughing in the first couple of chapters. Like, it's funny. It's so endearing and down to earth. But then you're like jumping around. But there are all these really good stories. And then I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, you like catch me off guard, and I'm getting choked up, and I'm like remembering all those episodes of Extreme Makeover and thinking about all the things you've been through in your childhood. And anyways, I'm just going to start by saying like, you guys got to go get this book. It's a great read. It's especially great if you know anyone parenting or dealing with ADHD or a special need or any of that. Like it just... It's the real deal, and it's super encouraging. So that's my opener about the book. <laughs> Thank you. And it's called like Life to the Extreme, which is kind of the appropriate title because in many ways, like my life has been like an episode of Extreme. What I mean is, is like, you know, it tells a story in the beginning, sort of an idea of like, oh my God, what is this kid going to turn into? So you get the basic story, but then you really go through all the crazy you know, the excitement, the screaming, the demolition, all the, I mean, dude, we did mm-hmm. some of the crazy things tearing down houses. Like I literally probably, I almost probably died four times, <laughs> whether it would be a house falling on me, me getting in a demolition derby to, to tear up a house. I mean, there's so many crazy stuff that we did that was so much fun. But then of course, you know, the building process, which is also crazy that I couldn't believe we did in seven days. And then of course the emotional, you know, story ending because it is really amazing what the fact that the show is about changing one family's life mm-hmm. because anybody who's ever been part of that show and trust me across America, I would say if you lived in the state that we were doing a build in, which is every state, you know, we visited literally every state. Chances are if you weren't there with a blue t-shirt on, then you knew somebody or a family member or a friend that was. And so that's what was awesome too, is it really connected people in a way to do something positive with their lives And to be honest with you, that's what Extreme was for me. It really opened the door of like what being a good human really feels like and like how once you get a taste of it, you want more. And as far as being an artist, like, look, making a beautiful painting, designing this or designing that, hanging on a wall for people to say, oh, wow, that's really great is one thing. But when you do something for one person, for one family, and you see that reaction, you realize you want that feeling again because you've done something for somebody who never expected to get something that amazing or that they didn't expect you to sort of dive into who they were and find the one thing that would really 
elate them in a way that you didn't expect. And so for me as an artist, like having that outlet where you, because look, let's face it. I like being crazy and a clown and I don't like taking anything seriously, (laughs) but when on that show, when I would, you know, I would dive into it, you know, because like it's telling their story. And I think, uh, I've been through a lot of stuff in my life. Luckily, nothing as traumatic as what a lot of the families went through, but I could identify with like loss and pain and sadness in in certain ways because I was raised by a single mom who like never had any time because she was working three jobs and going to school at night. And so you understand what that looks like. And then, of course, you're the crazy kid that she's literally like crying in the hallway because she can't handle Mm. it. And you're like, oh my God, Mm -hmm. your breakdown is my fault. So it, it, you know, I certainly connected with a lot of people that went through a lot of tough times, but that's what's so amazing about the show is that you, because of that, you put your entire effort into making something really special for one family. And I think it took a team of not just all of us that worked on the show, but the community, the people that, the, my favorite part of, of Extreme, to be honest with you, is the people that nobody got to know, is the people in the blue t-shirts, because mm. there were these nameless faces that worked hours and hours and hours to make a dream come true for people that didn't even realize who gave it to them. So, yes. Well, just out of curiosity, like, I'm so curious, how did, in the beginning when the show was getting started, how did you guys pick the states and the homes? And then how did you, like, did somebody go door to door and garner all these volunteers? Or how did that even look? That's a really good question. So, as you know, in the book, I sort of describe how this whole thing started. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating, too. (laughs) Yeah, I went out to California and, like, this company wanted to do a TV show with me because the success of Trading Spaces was huge. I mean, that show like skyrocketed really quickly. And the next thing you know, you know, we're coming up with ideas, what would be cool to do a show with me. And they asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, well, it would be great if we did a show that made people cry for the right reasons instead of the wrong reasons. Like, what have you done to my kitchen? <laughs> I mean, I love that though. Like, I love that too. Yeah. But I was like, so, you know, I gave them the idea of like, what if we built like three-story tree houses for Make-A-Wish kids? And then the producers at the time told me like, look, man, that's really nice that that's what you want to do. But nobody wants to see that kind of sappy stuff on television. It just doesn't sell. I was like, all right, I understand. But that's, I told you what, you know, that was my idea, whatever. So then they came back and said, look, we've got the uh, show idea. You and six designers are going to build a house in seven days. What do you think? I'm like, I think that's impossible, but (laughs) maybe it would make a great TV show. Let's see. And then they asked me how much I thought it would cost. And I knew we were in trouble. But anyway, um, so... The thing about that show was we had these scouts and I guess these guys went out and they found the ugliest house in a neighborhood. So the whole idea was we were going to build a house in seven days because we found the ugliest house in a neighborhood. But what was lying underneath that house was a story of a family that was struggling because their daughter was battling cancer. And that's why the lawn looked like that. That's why the roof was in shambles. And that's why the house hadn't been painted in six years. And then that's when you realize as we were shooting the show that we thought was about me and the six designers arguing and literally not getting along. The real story was the story of the family and what they were going through. And luckily, I looked over at my producer and we were done. I was like, my God, please tell me you see the show that should be. And he was like, yeah, I definitely do. I mean, I think it's amazing. It like caught everybody off guard. And it's interesting they didn't think anybody would want to see that. Like that surprises me. Of course we want to see that. <laughs> but at the time, the number one show was Survivor, which is people bickering and arguing, trying to throw themselves off an island. True. So it was about true. people like not getting along and not doing positive things for each other. Mm-hmm. So that's why it was completely the opposite. But that's why I think it was so amazing. It's because it was not one person's genius. It literally, it was an organic way of people that were doing something positive for somebody else that 
it just caught us all by surprise. And that's exactly what I think is why it was such a great TV show. And to be honest with you, I don't know if there will ever be a TV show that is as good as that. And here's why. Everybody won. The family won because mm-hmm. they got a new house and the mortgage paid off. The community won because they got to know each other and did something positive and wanted to continue doing that. The network won because they could finally, like, literally advertise and people wanted to pay money to be part of the show. And the ratings, you know, works money. And we, we won because it literally changed the way we looked at, at ourselves. Like, I was, like, probably up until that point, I was like, you know, what about me? What about me? What about me? And then you finally experience mm-hmm. what it's like to give back. And you're like, my God, you know, what an a-hole I've been my entire life. <laughs> then you realize, like, what somebody in need really looks like. So, uh, Well, and it puts your own problems in perspective, too, don't you think? Like, Totally. All of a sudden, your problem becomes like a joke compared to someone's real suffering, potentially. And it just puts it on perspective. Yeah, you know, and that's what's kind of interesting, too, about the, you know, look. When Hollywood shows up to do a project in your neighborhood, there's going to be one neighbor who's like, get your vehicles off my lawn, you know? <laughs> and you're like, oh yeah, there's always that one guy. And it makes total sense. <laughs> but then when you actually like talk to them for a second and go, hey, I just want to let you know why we're here. It's not that we're, you know, trying to dig up everyone's yard, but this is the story of the family. I just want you to see it so you understand. And then all of a sudden, the, like it changes. And the guy's like, yo, if y'all need my driveway, let me know. And it's like, but that's what I mean. Like once you find out why we're there, it changes the whole picture. And I think that Mm -hmm. there's not ever going to be a show like that where people like, yes, get in here. You know, like, I'm just saying like, I know I miss it. I really miss it. My husband and I were talking and I was telling him I was going to interview. He was like, oh gosh, I miss that show. I mean, it was just like pulled the, the heartstrings and it was good. It was just doing good. And you felt good watching it. I love that show. So tell me, though, like, how did they pick the houses and how did that all work in the beginning? Well, in the beginning, we didn't know what we were doing. And so we picked, like, <laughs> whoever was sending in videos because, let's face it, the first season, we were, like, picking anybody who had a really tough story. But by the second season, we really understood what was needed, which was friends and a community sending in a story of somebody who didn't even know they were being nominated. Then you realize those are the people who are helping so many other people in the community that never wanted anything for themselves then we finally got it right and we started like literally surprising the families of people that were doing more for others than for themselves which is the way it should be and then we started really like flying on all cylinders and we became the show that we should have always been which is just giving back to the people who've given so much and and of course also you know helping out the military and, and to me some of those are my favorite shows man i mean we've had mm-hmm. bring a soldier not only home but he's saluted by the guys in his regiment, or you throw a wedding for a guy who, you know, has sacrificed so much and find a way for even this individual who's in a wheelchair to stand and salute for that moment. There's not a dry eye in the entire, you know, I mean, anywhere. And like, that was the top part for me is like, not only did I cry in the moment, but then I had to sit and watch the show eventually at home and I'm crying again and keep crying. And I'm like, this is just a lot of crying. I can't take it. Yeah. (laughs) It was so real. And I think that's what nobody understands anymore in television is that Mm -hmm. how real that show is. And like, if there's one gift, you know, you asked me a couple of questions earlier, like what is the one trait that I'd say is my greatest trait? I was wrong about the sense of humor. It's probably that I'm genuine. That's all I'll ever be is just absolutely authentic. And that's probably why I won't survive in this world of technology. (laughs) But you know what, Ty, like, that's why we all love you. That's why you've had the career you've had. It's because 
it translates. Like, people can sniff it out on TV. We know when someone's authentic and real and just being themselves, and it's refreshing. People want that. Yeah, or whether it's been overproduced. That's my yes. thing, too. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> as long as I've been, the thought of overproducing anything just makes me like, stop. But anyway. <laughs> I just threw up a little bit, yeah. <laughs> but no, it's, it has. It's been an amazing life. And that's why I wanted to share the story, because not only have, like, I think my story has probably connected with a lot of families that are raising, let's just say challenging kids, but also Mm -hmm. the fact that I've been affected by so many of the families that I've been able to help out on extreme, not to mention the extreme family of the people that worked on the show was a very large family. And we were, look, we spent every day of our life on the road, like, Staying at Hampton Inns, eating at, you know, TGI Fridays, if we're lucky enough to have one of those in the town. (laughs) (laughs) You have to be so committed to what you do that, because look, your plant's not going to survive. Your relationship's not going to survive. You know, a lot's not going to happen. So you've got to really find a reward in all this. And that's what it was, was making other people happy. But in the process, you know, you, you sacrifice a lot, but that's just it. The same, you know, same thing with the military. You guys know when, when you've done that, you come home. First thing you want to do is because I've talked to these guys, they want to be back helping their brothers in arms, you know, and like, mm-hmm. they don't want to be out of the fray. And like, that's just it. It's like, you get addicted to being part of a team that accomplishes great things. Yeah, you really, you miss, I mean, I'm military, the listeners know that. I mean, I got out after 12 plus years to raise my kids, but my husband's still active. And, and then I also have a five-year-old son who is on the autism spectrum. And so I could connect to your book and story on many levels. Um, And it meant a lot to me. And I'm not even done with it. I can't wait to finish it. Hey, guys, we're going to pause for a minute to tell you about one of our partners. Anyone interested in 30% off the best vitamins? We know health and nutrition is important to everyone. One thing that goes hand in hand with our health is supplemental care. We've partnered with Dr. C Vitamins to offer you a 30% discount off their premium pharmaceutical grade and medically endorsed line of supplements. All vitamins are not created equal. In fact, there is no FDA oversight for supplements. Unlike over-the-counter vitamins, Dr. C supplements are manufactured without commonly found synthetic ingredients. I mean, you guys, who wants synthetics going into our bodies? They're also non-GMO and gluten-free. Their standards are so high, these vitamins are actually manufactured just like a prescription drug would be in an FDA-registered facility. Most vitamins do not subject themselves to this level of oversight. People are always asking if we take these personally, and we do. I take the D3K2 combo to support bone health, memory, mood, and immune support, and their collagen biotin that supports strong hair, nails, and skin. And then when I'm having those nights where I'm having a hard time falling asleep and unwinding, I take the melatonin B6 combo, and it really helps me gently fall asleep naturally. So give them a try, you guys. Go to drccares.com, use our code WEGETTONOW, and save 30% on your next order. Let's just back up a little bit. Tell us what it was like from your perspective now, growing up as a child with undiagnosed ADHD. What was that like? Well, I wasn't really sure what it was like because, look, I mean, not to date my age, (laughs) but like, yes, I'm so old that they didn't even know what to call it back then. Yeah. And look, look, here's the difference between so many generations, right? Like, I'm sure your parents, if you come from a military background, then you know what I'm talking about. 
I grew up in an era where children were not supposed to even be seen or heard. I was on the tail end of that because I was born mm-hmm. in the late 60s. But those guys were the 40s. They were like, get your child out of my face. Like, if it's making any noise, right? And so... Yeah, beat his butt and pull it together. Exactly. Yeah. And if you can't do that, then put him outside so we don't have to... But these days, it's like, oh, what do you need, Joey? <laughs> really true it's so changed it's so different and so like my point is is like my mom had to leave my first dad because it was just smart on her end but he was a lot of fun he was just wasn't really a great dad but the next guy was raised military style and let's just say his favorite line was from wc fields like who said i like children you know roasted over medium <laughs> My point is, is like he was sort of part of that generation where he was he was raised by a strict military dad, and so he couldn't mm. speak or any of that. And here I am, like screaming, making noise, drawing and stuff. And so he would just look at me like, "Oh my god, if you were my own, I would do so many things to you, to teach you, <laughs> you know, lessons." Even that, like, it's sort of like trying to train a puppy who doesn't know any better, you know. And that's the whole thing is like you have to figure out a way for them to learn that what they're doing is not going to help them in the long run. And so for me, I knew that I was... Um, chaotic? Chaotic. And, and I think what it is too is like I was so distracted by different things. I didn't retain any of the knowledge that the class was trying to share. And so because mm-hmm. of that, I would get frustrated. And I, I'm pretty sure what it was is, well, if I'm not retaining the information, I'm sure as hell not going to let you guys retain the information. <laughs> and so I'm going to create such an obnoxious distraction that no one's going to learn anything. And I think that's what happens is I get so frustrated because, and that's the joke about the chapters being sort of jumping around because mm-hmm. anybody who's got ADHD knows that you read like one or two chapters and you've got to start over and go, what the hell did I just read? Oh my God. <laughs> so uh, that's why like visually my mom noticed that drawing was the only thing that I would sit still and do and actually be able to sort of get gratification feeling like I was good at anything. And uh, Mm -hmm. that's the real side note of ADHD people never tells you. It's that you, when you're told constantly, oh, we can't let him do that because, you know, you can't mow the lawn because he's going to cut his foot off or he can't do that because he's going to do this. So you start to think that you are not capable of doing any of the things because they don't believe you're going to be able to do it successfully or Mm -hmm. do it without getting injured. And so that makes you like very unconfident. And I think that is one of the number one hindrances of ADHD. And so when I finally sort of was asked to leave after a long you know, journey uh, with my family, I totally understood it. But there was also the best thing that ever happened to me because I had to figure out a way to fend for myself to start believing in myself. And a lot of people don't realize that, is that you know, your parents are wonderful for you, but if you stay under their umbrella for forever then you're only going to be that person. The way they see you is the way you're going to be. But there's a view of your own self that you got to go out and find for yourself. And that that's why people, I, I'm sure, join the military, because you become somebody you didn't think you could become. And that's exactly what going out on your own does. So true. It pushes you out of your comfort zone and you're forced to see where you're going to fail and where you're going to make it and where your capabilities lie. That's true. It's deep. Yeah, but I mean, for ADHD, what happens is when you fail your parents have to move to another school district. So I moved oh, to three yeah. school districts because when nobody knows you, you do pretty well. In, in <laughs> but then oh. once they get to know you, it's like, oh, right. Well, there goes the uh, 
you know, wearing the desk and all that. But look, most people that have ADHD don't get lucky enough to find an outlet. Here's the joke, right? So I was going to art school, I was going to all this stuff, and I had to have a shrink to sort of help me. Because once I got medicated, I was in college, and all of a sudden, boom, like, just so you know, I went through the entire school system without it. So my grades were absolutely But once I got in college, my mom saw these drawings that I was doing with like these rats carrying these wagons full of fingers. And, and she was like, okay, you're getting really dark. We're going to go see someone. And the guy's like, yeah, this kid is, are you kidding me? This is the poster child for ADHD. Like it was like, she said, wow. you know, you're medicated. My grades turn into A's. And then on the soccer field where I had recently sucked, which made no sense because I used to be good when I was little, all of a sudden my mind cleared up and I started scoring hat tricks and people are like, what has happened? I'm like, it's called focus. Get ready. <laughs> so the team went, like, we went 11 and 1 the first year at Kennesaw. Anyway, it was amazing. So wait, were you, how old were you when you got diagnosed? Like 18, 19 or something? Yeah, 17 or 18, yeah. And then when you tell the story in the book about that, what was he? Therapist, I guess? Or psychologist or something? Yeah, I believe his name was Gaston Loomis. Yeah, well, I can't believe I remember his name. But yeah, he basically... I had no idea what I was going into, but he sat me down. He had six different things for me to eat. He had peanuts. He had chocolate. He had cheese. He had something else. And I mean, this is fascinating. So he's like watching your blood sugar spike and seeing how you focus. Totally. Wow. <laughs> and not only that, but this cat had the same thing, but he was a psychiatrist. Oh, man. This theory goes all the way back to caveman, which is like, you know, the farmer got up every day and, you know, worked the fields, the hunter, you know, like went out and killed six animals, drug them back to the cave and like laid around till there was none left. And then like when he realized he had to, he went out and did, you know, get more. Clearly I was a hunter because, you know, to get up every day, you'd have to be focused. But yeah, I basically was sort of a hunter who turned into a farmer, which is like trying to get things done every single day. Mm. But he was genius because I never realized it really took someone showing what was happening with me. And then them also explaining that they had the same condition, but they could end up being successful. That really changed my perspective of like how not only about treatment of ADHD, but also Mm -hmm. a belief that I could become something else than what I'd known to be me, which was huge because up until that point, I was like, I didn't really understand. To get a job, a really good job, you have to be able to look people in the eye and look like you're confident in what you do. And when you're 17 years old, 16 years old, or even younger, and you don't have any confidence, you can't look anybody in the eye and tell them that you're going to just be the best landscaper they've ever hired. It's just not going to happen. But when you go out there and actually learn a little bit, it's so funny. I wanted to be a graphic designer for so long. I went to school. I won awards. And then there's this one company I wanted to work for. I sent them a shoe with like wings I painted and I like this Converse old school skate shoe I used to have. And I sent it to them and the tagline was, I just wanted to get a foot in the door kind of a thing. And like, I went over there and I did my best. I told them I worked for free and they were like, dude, man, we really dig your energy. You're so energetic. Like we can tell you'd be a lot of fun to work with, but like, we just don't need you right now. Go back and do a couple, you know, do a few more logos, come back and see me a couple of years. I never went back because, you know, I ended up doing other things with my life, but it's funny. But then I went, when I went on the audition for Trading Spaces, I literally didn't care if I got the job because I had to go back and finish this kitchen. And my attitude was, look, this is really cute that you guys want to do a TV show. And this is great. <laughs> I've met Frank and he wants me to build him a flower box, but instead I measured him for a coffin. That's my whole point. I was like, this is all funny, but I really have a job I have to finish. 
And I think it's because I have that attitude, which is I don't care whether or not you hire me. I've got other important things to do that they're like, I think this is our guy. I think we need him. <laughs> yeah, I was like, but it's so funny how life is. There's like nothing more attractive than a little bit of apathy. Like, wait, he doesn't have to? It's so weird, right? The eager ones don't get the job, but the ones are like, look, I don't really want your job, but like, if you need help to get through this scene, I'll give you that. But like, it's so funny. Yeah. Like, I have no idea <laughs> that I would get hired. But then again, at the same time, they didn't even realize... I had that much sort of creative knowledge behind me. I think there was just like hiring me for my sarcasm, but I was like, but wait, I can actually build stuff. So yeah, it was one of those things that Trading Spaces really changed everything for me. How did that happen? Like how did, what were you doing? And then how did Trading Spaces even get to know you? Like how'd you get that gig? Well, let me just tell you this. So at this point, I owed about $40,000 to my shrink for medication. He prescribed, oh, gosh. he'd written for me, but I couldn't pay him. <laughs> Well, I was painting his house. Like I was literally painting my doctor's no house. And the guy's like, he was literally saying like, Ty, you're so creative. You know, you've got so much ahead of you. He's like, you really need an outlet. What are we going to do with you? I was like, I don't know. But when you come up with a plan, you let me know. <laughs> and next thing you know, like I got this one lucky break where I could actually, I had an outlet for my creativity and I never thought I would have something like that. And it was a lucky break. But like I said, in the book, I'd gone down so many different paths that I was so absolutely what was ready for that opportunity. I'd been to Japan where I wasn't afraid of having a camera in my face, but I saw the humor in why I failed at modeling so miserably because it's just such a stupid profession. But but wait, did you fail? I mean, it seems like you had this cool modeling career. No, I did not. I made like maybe, <laughs> I made 500 bucks a year modeling, which is, oh, shoot. but yes. And that's one of the best chapters in the book actually is the year I could have become a big name. I got the cover of J. Crew. I had an automobile wreck and I lost like all the skin on my body. Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? I lost my, uh, let's just call it my butt, but I really lost my butt in that. Up. Oh my gosh. But because of that, like all my work fit, like literally tanked. A month later, my brother left my book and all my cards in his car where we were rebuilding a warehouse in the ghetto. And so everything I had in modeling was gone. And this is where I think a higher power stepped in and said, guess what? You need to be done with that career. Because if that had never happened, I wouldn't have gone back to construction and building furniture. And because of that, like literally a year later, maybe two years later, I ended up getting an audition for Trading Spaces. But if I hadn't walked away from that, I would have kept doing these stupid small jobs forever. And I think that's what's amazing is like sometimes these obstacles that are put in front of you are needed for you to do something else. That's what I mean by extreme. Like that career abruptly ended because there's nothing you could send out anymore for a job. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, it was on the brink of actually, you know, becoming well paid at that. But I wow. so lucky that that happened. But yeah. So not to like totally jump around, but whatever, I'm going with it. Tell me, I'm curious about the carpentry. Like, when did you learn any of these skills? And I think you wrote like that you and your brother like built some massive construct, like when you were so young. Like, talk to me about the carpentry. Well, my brother has always been blessed with better communication skills. I've always been blessed with better, like, working with my hand skills. But here's what happened. So I had basically destroyed everything in the house. Like, my dad's piano, I ripped a leg off to create, like, a tent stake to make a fort in the uh, living room. He was very pleased. And then uh, 
I did a bunch of drawings along the walls. And my parents had basically said, look, it's so great that you find yourself creative. If you ever take on another project in the house, we will literally drop you off at a shelter. <laughs> they basically mm-hmm. said, whatever you want to do, you take it outside. And so I decided, I was like, you know what? That's a great idea, guys. I've got a project in mind that I'd like to do. So I, I got with my brother and bartered. We started collecting these comics we had these friends down the street that were much older than us that turned us on to like high end collecting of comics, like Marvel plastic. I mean, literally like X-Men number three, plastic man stuff. You can't even see anymore. We didn't have any of the high quality ones, but we knew what we could trade. So we traded comics with these kids in the neighborhoods that had dads that were mechanics and who had dads that had like, you know, wrenches and saws. My dad played bass. So he didn't really have anything but a tuning fork. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so in one day, I like traded comics and ended up building this three-story treehouse with a sun deck and the whole nine yards. And it, it was amazing. And I joked, my mom came out to take a look at it. And I was like, I'm sorry, man, but the interviews are over. You know, the local news has just left. <laughs> but it was just one of those things. I was nine years old. Now let's think about that for a second. I can't even fathom it. I mean, seriously. Around the community, even though I had to barter them, but to come out and like all of us pitch in to build something that we could all benefit from. And I'm like, wait, this is symbolic. Wow. Yeah. Foretelling really. (laughs) But look, up until then, like it was really just building, you know, like I fixed bicycles and go-karts and stuff like that, but I'd never, we really didn't have a dad who was a carpenter, but my real dad actually happened to have some of those skills. So when I was like 14 or 15, I think it must have been 14 or 15, I decided to take a summer. My brother went to go find out what spring break was all about. Basically, he learned about the birds and the bees in one summer, and I learned where I came from. But I went down to meet my real dad, and this guy not only played trumpet, but... um, He was a jazz musician or something, right? Yeah, they both were. But Gary, my real dad, the son of uh, Big Daddy George Bruton, who was a pretty famous jazz player. But here's the point about Gary for all his faults. I met the guy and he's like, yo, so what do you want to do for the week that you're here? I was like, I don't know. Let's build something. And he goes, what do you want to build? I said, you know what? Let's build a boat. And he looked at me like, wow, you could have said anything. (laughs) Like a birdhouse potentially? Exactly. I thought a birdhouse, (laughs) son. So we built this boat. We put a rudder in it. We polyurethaned it like eight times. And then we sailed it. And of course it sank. But my point is that we built this amazing boat. But that's when I realized that this guy, I was lucky probably not to be raised by him, but I was lucky to have his genetics that he, he wasn't afraid to like build a two-story doghouse for a client or build this or build that. So he was really good with his hands and I realized where it came from. But everything I learned was self-taught and it's because I literally, my first job I ever had was landscaping. After landscaping, this guy named Carlo Bagazzi, he picks me up on the side of the road and he's like, I need an extra hand. Do you want to be a carpenter? I'm like, sure. I don't know how. And he goes, I'll teach you. Fine. Within a, a year, I was living at his house and he taught me one valuable lesson. He said, don't go looking for money. Let the money come looking for you. And I was like, you must have money. Anyway, it took one thing after the other before I started to learn all these different skills. And then next thing you know, you know, I'm renovating warehouses and, and all the above and, uh, And then eventually uh, I met a cool guy that went to Cooper Union and was building like really high-end furniture. And I was like, yo, I want in, let's build cool stuff. And that's where I was when um, we were building like really high-end cool stuff when Trading Spaces reached out to me. And I was like, look, 
I don't know what I'm going to make with 40 bucks, but I can make you something really nice for like 400. And they're <laughs> like, well, that's not what we have. I'm like, okay, well, let's make MDF boxes then. That's fine. But anyway, yeah, it's like I said, it was all self-taught. And that's why I think sometimes, sometimes the most successful people are self-taught because they're driven. And I, mm-hmm. to this day, I'm not sure who I'm trying to prove. Maybe I was just trying to prove to um, whoever that I wasn't the kid that, you know, was going to get his fingers cut off by, you know, a skill saw, but I was the kid who was demanding cookies as a child and my mom wouldn't give them to me. So I stuck my foot in the fan, no joke. And she's like, she's like, you really are special. Like, and I was like, (laughs) my mom won't answer me whether or not I got a cookie after that, because, you know, technically you should not give a child a cookie after that. So I've got to follow through, man. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, but yeah, I sort of picked up a lot of different I just learned because I was always on different construction sites, learning everything from landscaping to, you know, putting the foundation to eventually doing probably my favorite stuff, which like the trim work. And then here's the other thing. I painted houses for 12 years with a bunch of women called the painters. And like, to this day, I can paint a room faster than anybody on any of the TV shows I've ever been on, but I don't let them know that because when they see how fast <laughs> like, dude, what are you doing? You need to stay here. I'm like, yeah, but they need me to go shoot this scene right now. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I'm needed you know, elsewhere. So sorry, always, so that's sorry. why painting, that's why I, I'm just pretty good with a brush. Well, you're an artist, like call it what you want, but you, you really are a creative, like whether it's with carpentry or painting or drawing or whatever. I mean, redoing a home for that matter. It's some artistry. So you're volunteering a lot now too, right? Like talk to me a little bit about that. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm always trying to do that. I work with Habitat a bunch, um, not only down here, but uh, all over. And I'm doing a bunch of different projects. There's another show I'm working on called uh, Small Business Revolution. Yeah, I saw that. And it's basically we go into small towns, you know, and like right on Main Street, we have about six different businesses. And what I love about that is you're not just helping one family, you're helping people with the most important thing that they're going to hand down to their family, which is a family business. And it's a really cool idea that this company Deluxe is doing. And, and instead of spending money on advertising, they're actually getting rolling up their sleeves and helping out small towns. I love that because you really get to know people and what their struggles are with business is. But you also get you know a chance to really see what growth can look like. And not to mention, let's face it, there's a lot of big chain stores that are eating up our highway mm-hmm. mall areas. But the charm of like Main Street in America used to be so huge. Yes. And like I... I love going that that show, and I love going in to, get, to meet the town and the spirit and the energy that comes from like working with a community like that. And that's what I miss about Extreme is like, I mean, people just go nuts mm-hmm. and they want to do everything they can to make you know better their community. So I love tons of projects like that. So yeah, I'm always trying to um, to do things like that. We just won an award for this video we shot. I work with a, another team of people called Abode. Yes, we came up with a really a very affordable housing system. And then we went to Africa and we basically not only built homes and structures, but we also built these women's hospitals because these birthing centers, because you don't even want to know what it's like to be a woman over there and what they go through. And and that's why there's so many orphans because a lot of the moms die in labor. So where'd you go in Africa? Tanzania. Amazing. I went there when I was young. I went to Tanzania and Malawi and it was just like burned into my... Yeah, right? It's amazing. It really is. And like... I love being part of a project where you know you're making a difference, but you're also diving in to a culture that you just didn't realize was so different and also just sort of needed some help. Okay, Ty, I feel like I could talk to you all afternoon, but 
Thanks for sharing your story and letting us dig into your life. But let's get into some fun Ask Everyone questions. You ready? I'm ready. Okay, so if I call you at 9 a.m. on any given day, what are you most likely doing? Breathing hard because I'm probably exercising, trying to get, like, awake. Yeah, most likely that's what I'm doing. Probably, like, either, like, on a bike or on a skateboard or just, like, running for no apparent reason. Flailing your arms. (laughs) Yeah, flailing my arms. Yeah, I'm that guy, the bird man. (laughs) What's something people would be surprised to know about you? Besides that I collect vomit bags? Uh, Let's see. Oh, dear. (laughs) Yeah. No, I've been collecting vomit bags for like a long time, but I know that sounds strange. Like from the airplane? Yeah. Here's what happened. I was in Japan like a long time ago, right? And I had to take this hovercraft to another island. And I, I thought I was just laughing because I think there's an illustration of somebody getting sick, like a cartoon. And I was like, oh my God, that's funny. And of course, you know, the immature child I was at the time was like, that's funny. <laughs> the little cartoons we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't understand it until the way back, we were going against the wind. And so the waves were coming at us and all of a sudden it was like, uh, uh, uh. And I was like, I get it. So then I was like, this is great. And so then I started collecting all of them on the planes and now, like, even friends of mine, like, he'll be people that travel a lot, find these crazy ones from, like, Singapore and all kinds of different things. So, I, like, I have this crazy collection of vomit bags. I mean, even Ellen DeGeneres gave me one. No way. Yeah. <laughs> oh but gosh. the plain ones I hold, and, like, sometimes if I throw a party at night, I'll put, like, tea light candles in there so that if somebody's, let's just say, partied a little too hard, they can not only grab <laughs> the light, but they can just vomit <laughs> right into it, which is nice. I love this. This is cool. <laughs> Okay, how do you like to decompress? Probably playing guitar, I would say, music. There's something about uh, having sunset conversations with, like, I'm living with my mom now, and so, like, when it gets to be, like, sunset, like, in Florida, we'll just go out, hit the chair, and just talk, like, 30 minutes. Like, that is the most relaxing time of my day. But a lot of people have said the only time I relax is when I've started another project, where, like, that's how bad I am. It's like, the only time it's, like when I'm in the sort of eye of a new project, but I'm in the eureka moment that that's what calms me is actually doing another project. That's just wrong. The answer you want to hear is like play guitar and then maybe like have a conversation with my mom at sunset because she's just a hilarious human being. Oh, she's cool. So if you guys start following Ty, you need to check out like you've got these little, what do you call them? Like throwback Thursdays with your mom or something? Little videos. They're so funny. <laughs> yeah, I call them mom you mental moments. Yes. And she like brings up these hilarious stories about you. <laughs> it's good. It's good oh, stuff. God, it's so good. Yeah. I try and get like, once she's gone, the stories are gone. So I just try and get them while I can, you know? Yeah. Okay. So who are three people you love to follow on Instagram or Facebook, whatever? Oh no, I'm definitely an Instagram guy. I mean, come on. Like too bad Instagram has changed because Instagram used to be just about visual images. And I was like, yes, I don't have to explain my life or know where I'm being. The hashtags, the algorithms, all the stuff. Yeah. And like, I literally, I love like doing just really stupid hashtags. People are like, you know, that's not hashtags don't work that way. I'm like, I know that's my point. But anyway, (laughs) uh, let's see. There's a couple of interesting people. Um, the guy who played Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs. What's his name? Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. How could I not remember? Yeah, he's actually interesting. Like, he, like, does paintings. He, Anthony like, Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins, yeah. He does, like, you know, songs. I know that sounds weird, but, like, he's actually... Oh, got, he's a painter? I didn't know that. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Like, there's all these layers to him that are pretty, you know, unique. But then, uh, let's see. What else? Oh, my God. Amy Sedaris? Hilarious. Okay. What else? <laughs> 
you know, of course, you know, the usual, I, I follow certain surfers and people that are out there like really doing all the things that we wish we were doing. Like there's this guy, yes. Austin Keene, who's a skimboarder who basically like he shot this thing in the Bahamas on his GoPro and these dolphins were following him underwater and he won like the GoPro challenge. And so of course they probably sent like hundreds of GoPros to him. I'm like, yes, way to work the system. But yeah, I mean, anybody who of course looks like they're doing cool, fun things. And of course, like Will Smith, cause he's just genius. He's awesome. Yeah. Somebody else we interviewed said they follow Will Smith. I never even thought to follow Will Smith. And he posts great stuff. I follow him now. I love it. Yeah, no, he's absolutely entertaining as hell. He's good at everything. And, and that's mm -hmm. so amazing. Like, you know, he'll pop off a rap at, you know, while he's singing to Coachella crowd. Next day, he's, you know, doing something else. So it's, he definitely has the great life. But then, you know, Jennifer Gardner's fun to watch. Mm -hmm. as well. She's got cool things going on. Look, I basically follow a bunch of different people. But I also watch, <laughs> I like follow these like really crazy, some artists that do really these weirds. There's this one guy who does these installations of all these thousands of nude people and he gets really? them like to do like, I don't know how you wait, real life nude people. Yes. <laughs> I mean, and like, but he gets them like all in the town center in like Mexico city. I'm like, how do you send out? Oh my gosh, hey, look, wow. I'll be getting naked at 1205 today. Be sure to bring <laughs> sunscreen, but there are a bunch of different things, you know, and then tanks, whatever this tanks, good news is really great too. She, highlighting like people that do really great things in the world is awesome. That's a really great one. Okay. And then of course, anybody I've ever worked with, of course. Yeah. Your buddies, all your coworkers and friends. One more, one more. Tell me, tell me. <laughs> Viking the dog. Okay. He's a cross-eyed lab and like, Oh my God, this dog is awesome. Wait, Viking? Like a Viking? Yeah, Viking the okay, Lab. Viking the dog. Okay. If you go there, you're going to fall in love. Like, be careful. This Aww. dog will consume your heart. All right, name a book that you couldn't put down. A book I could not put down. Uh, well, <laughs> Me Talk Pretty One Day by David Sedaris. Absolutely. That kind of really funny sense of humor. I'm a little bit eclectic. Like I also like weird stuff like Bukowski just because he's so, so honest. But yes, he's a misogynist. My mom, of course, is like, get that book out of my no, house. you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is a perfect example of everything I like in a book. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Classic. Like in your book, you mentioned, oh, Louis Zamperini. What's the book? Unbroken. Oh, yeah. Gosh, yeah. did you read that? That was so amazing. Oh, my story. God. Amazing. That is a testament to what we can all go through and still accomplish. Like, it's just amazing. And by the way, that's – I think human beings like that, like, thank God we're, we actually got to see those kind of human beings because I just think we're a different mold now. I mean, we're all going to be like, oh, my God, we're out of toilet paper. I know. It's, I'm dying over here. I'm starving. I have, yeah, it's like, okay. It's like, yeah, read this book. And then, like, there's something about that, too. Somebody, uh, there's another book, I think, about, about amazing stories of... Survival? Yeah, survival chicks. That, like, I think it's just called Badass Chicks or Badass Women. Like, some lady, like, had a plane crash and literally broke her leg and walked out of a jungle, you know, and like, oh I love God. stories like that. People that yes, just did, I do too. like, you know, how did they survive anything? Like solo sailed around the world and hit a typhoon and made it. It's like, yes. So there's a couple of things that I would do. Do you remember seeing the video of that guy who was sailing around the Horn of Africa, wherever that was? With the whale, the thing? That no, one with the whale? Oh. was doing really well for a while. 
And then all of a sudden he wasn't. <laughs> and like there's a video of him, like he's in rough seas. He's like, this was not a good idea. I really wish being <laughs> I haven't seen it. I like it's so good. And you're like, okay, this is why you need another person to go with you. Solo sailing, not a good idea. <laughs> yeah. It's like free diving. It's like, well, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Like at some point it's gonna add up. It's like you're gonna have a problem. <laughs> Uh, yeah. By the way, skydiving, one of the biggest thrills I've ever had. Mm, fun. I, of course, figured I wouldn't make it back. So I painted my face like all this warrior paints that like whenever they took pictures of me on the ground, I would at least look good in the paper. And I remember these guys who were, you know, going up with us. This guy saw me paint my face and he smiled and he goes, I like you. I go, <laughs> I'm glad. You know, try not to kill me. He's like, you're right. going to be fine. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, do you have a current Netflix addiction? Oh, my God. Yes. So, okay, I don't know which is worse. So what is it? I don't even know if it's Netflix anymore, but Killing Eve is, like, amazing. Mm, I haven't seen that. That's probably the other one. So, and then there's, of course, you know, Stranger Things, which is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, there's this funny Nordic one, too. I forget what it's called. But, like, I started watching it, and I thought it was going to be, like, more like Vikings, the show, which is all just doing. But it's a comedy. It's almost like a Monty Python view of Vikings. It's hilarious. What? I've never heard of it. Yeah, just, you'll skid through it, and you'll be like, oh, there's no way I would ever watch that. And you're like, oh, my God, what is this? And then you're sucked in. Yeah, I can't stop. (laughs) But yeah, there's that. What else? Oh my God, they're so good. I mean, come on. Ozarks, wow. So good. I haven't watched it. Everybody talks about it. Everybody raves. I got to start it. Yeah, I mean, like, there's just, like, I love, let's face it, I love unscripted stuff that's got, like, a dark twist, but there's also, like, strange comedy along with it. So that's why Killing Eve is really good, too, because it's, like, it's sinister, but there's just, like, this really childish playful sense of humor to this crazy chick who's like, (laughs) anyway. (laughs) Okay. Clearly I'm drawn to crazy. (laughs) But yeah, it's good. Those are some good ones. Okay, so is there a food you absolutely won't eat? Well, um, luckily, I grew up in the South and my mom was just, oh, such a horrible cook. I mean, she would boil (laughs) a cow tongue in a galvanized military pot. No. With no salt and then throw it on a dish and then you try and cut it and it jiggles back and forth. And I looked at her like, is this some type of test? Like, you eat that. I want to see you eat that. Like, what is wrong with you? $3? Is that why you got it? Was she a farm kid? Where did she come up with this? That sounds like a farm kid thing to do. It's Here's the thing. She was so busy in school and doing other things. Actually putting something tasty on the meal was never a big deal to her. And so I was like, that's why when my brother and I became really good cooks because my mom sucked at it. So some of the worst things I've eaten are the things she's fed me, like cauliflower soup that tasted like aspirin. What else? Pickled pig feet? You should suck on a knuckle. Oh that's unbelievable. Is there something I won't eat? You know what? I tried sea urchin, man, but I just, I tell you, that's a tough texture right there. So Mm -hmm. I'll try just about anything once. I just won't do it again. Okay. What does your brother do, by the way? Is he in food? Yeah, kind of, because he's a wine guy, wine salesman. So he's always eating, you know, good food. Yum. Is there a meal that you would choose as your last meal? Yes. Grilled fish, black beans and rice, an arugula salad with Parmesan cheese and sliced apples. And then just 
every good wine, starting with white all the way to Cabernet. <laughs> really make it last a long time. Yeah, yeah. It's the last meal. It's like I'm going to need the whole thing, a pairing. <laughs> right. Yes, yes. And like, I would hope to have seven courses of everything and then end it with like baklava, something like really rich, mm. disgustingly. Well, let's face it. That's a great way to go. Like, let's go. That's what we should start doing is just go ahead and have your last meal, like plan it for like, you know, June so that you know you've, you're not going to miss it. Yeah, you've had it. You had it. It was amazing. <laughs> you had like a food coma for a couple of days, but totally worth it. Right. Well, you survived your last meal. <laughs> Okay, so one last question. What's the greatest life advice you've ever received? Well, my dad told me one time, he said, um, (laughs) probably, I was too young to understand how smart this was, but he said, listen, son, (laughs) he said, I know you think you're amazing. And, you know, right now, you, you know, you seem to really have this adorable thing going on and Everyone really thinks you're cute. And that's great. He's like, but if you keep saying I know every time someone tries to tell you something, what's going to happen is is you're going to end up not knowing anything. So then you're going to get a certain age where people are going to ask you, how do you do this? And you're going to be like, oh, I don't know. And he's like, (laughs) so don't be an idiot, son. Try and listen. He goes, it's much more alluring when you know something and don't say anything than when you talk and know nothing. And I was like, Mm. that's good advice. That's good stuff. Yeah. He knew what was coming for me. He's like, dude, the looks are going to fade, buddy. I hope you got a skill. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to need to learn something, boy. Learn something. (laughs) But I think my favorite advice is this. If you want to get lucky, it pays to be prepared. Mm -hmm. Because no matter how lucky you are, like if you don't have the skills when that opportunity shows up, then it's not going to do you any good. So be prepared for when your dream actually shows up. I mean, my dad used to say the same thing. That's such good advice. He's like, look, you need to spend all this time when nobody's paying attention and nobody cares and you think it doesn't matter, like building the skill set, working hard so that when that lucky break happens, like you said, you're ready to go. You're ready to just shine and show up. That's cool. Yeah, you need no training. You're just like, yep, I got this. Let's do it. Yep. Oh, my gosh, Ty. Okay, thank you so much for being on our podcast. Thanks for sharing your life with us. You're an inspiration with how much you give back and everything you do. Tell us all where we can find you online and on social media. Okay, well, I am the Ty Pennington on Instagram. I've got the new book out, which is Life to the Extreme, which I'm sure you is on Amazon, which is also basically in bookstores everywhere. Order now, please. I will come and build something for you if you do. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it. You know, really like, you know, I'm Ty Pennington on Facebook, all of the above, but I'm really, I mean, Instagram is really my true channel. And so, yeah, I'm everywhere. I've also got a bunch of new trading spaces coming out on TLC coming up in the next couple of weeks. Some of them are really hilarious. Please okay, watch them. Cool. They may or may not include farm animals. So yeah, they are <laughs> worth watching. Okay, awesome. You heard it from Ty himself, you guys. Get the book, check out the show. And Ty, thanks again for being on with us. Hey, thanks for having me. You're awesome. Okay, bye. Bye. Thank you for listening today. And if you like the show, we'd love for you to head over to iTunes and give us a positive review. 
You can find us at wegettoknow.com where you can sign up for our newsletter and on social media at wegettoknow. Head over to Instagram. We'd love to hear from you and get your opinions on guests and show ideas. Our music is provided by the talented Blake Atwell, Studio 1916 in Austin, Texas. Until next time, take care as we continue to get to know all of our favorite people. Bye.